I think at the end of the day, whatever you do, whether it's songwriting or playing music or, or whatever, it can't be what you think people want to hear. It can't be the, the, the whole, you know, I'm gonna write to fit this mold. If you are excited about it, you know, that's gonna come across in, in whatever you're doing. You gotta write and, and play and do what you emotionally respond to and, and what makes you excited about playing music. Here we are with Michael Cleveland. How's your day going today, Michael? Pretty good, Cam. How about you? Not bad. Not bad. So for everyone out there listening, Michael, he he's truly one of a kind. Michael here, he he was born blind and, and he's partially deaf, yet he's still one of the greatest bluegrass players to ever live. You know, he's won bluegrass fiddle player of the year. 12 plus times he won the grammy in 2019 for best bluegrass album and yeah michael welcome back to the show man so tell me how have things been in your world recently ah pretty busy but in a good way so uh that's a good thing i guess amen amen beats the alternative (laughs) i'm curious what you've learned you know throughout your career when it comes to being on the road and Kind of navigating through a situation where you or whether someone in your band or your crew is is kind of in a gray space with their mental health and and like what you've learned about properly navigating through that kind of situation you know i can't say that i've encountered a bunch of that i mean i guess i've i've been there myself you know and i mean i've been been through times where you know i used to be pretty heavy drinker you know and, and a lot of the guys had to put up with me during that those situations, you know, and um, so I mean, I I think, you know, if if it if it starts to affect, you know, the way they do their job or the way you know they interact with other people, and if it just becomes unbearable, then it's there's really nothing. Well, as far as, you know, a drug or an alcohol problem, I mean, I know just from my experience, um, whoever it is, you know, they're not going to quit doing that kind of thing unless they're ready to quit. And and I wasn't going to, you know, I'd have plenty of people you know, say to me, you know, you really need to quit you know, and, and this is going to happen and this has already happened and the word's out and people, you know, people know and and you've done this embarrassing thing after, you know, and none of that really made the difference to me rather than, you know, like the thing that really made me want to quit was just waking up one day and, you know, with a lot of thought going into it beforehand but finally I woke up one day and I felt like shit and I was hung over and I just said all right that's it you know I can't do it anymore and the the time where you really can't quit you know when I when I was reading this uh there's a book 
that I found an audio book called Alcohol Lied to Me. And it's by this guy, the stop drinking expert, Craig Beck. And he, uh, he says, you know, whether it's alcohol or anything else, you know, whenever you can quit something is you know, the time you get into your head, this is no longer a benefit to me. You know, when it doesn't, it, when it, when you finally figure out it doesn't serve a purpose anymore, then, you know, then you can finally quit whatever it is. Mm. But as far as mental, um, I mean, you know, I, I've been around people who, who've dealt with, you know, grief over, you know, losing somebody or a relationship or, you know, and I've been there myself, you know, I was, I lost uh, two of my closest friends here in the last year or so. And like the guys, the guys in the band were, were very patient with me, you know, but it, it, it threw me for a loop, you know, it really did. Uh, these were guys that I used to play music with and, you know, around this area in Louisville, Kentucky, Bill Wolf and Eddie Wells, you know, they were two of my uh, closest friends and, and we would play music together all the time. And um, people that I've known since I was a kid, you know, they were quite a bit older and, uh, you know, but still, it, it's uh, it's hard when you lose somebody like that, and it's hard to to uh, try to try to deal with that, and still, you know, go out and play music, and you know, have fun playing music, and yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I've been there, and I and I've been around other people in that situation. Uh, but yeah, other than I, I think the biggest thing that that helped me with with you know both the drinking, you know, like when I quit drinking, now the guys in the band they knew a long time before that I was bad enough that I needed to quit drinking, and so when I did quit, you know, I finally did make the decision and I said, okay, guys, I just want to let you know I'm not going to drink anymore. And, you know, this is nothing that my dad asked me to do, or this is nothing that somebody else said I should do and that I feel obligated to do. This is what I've decided to do. And, you know, and they, they all said, okay, well, we just won't drink on the road anymore. And now that right there because they all like to drink i mean we party together now i would just you know i would keep drinking and it was my thing it was almost like a contest to me you know <laughs> but you know those guys you know to say okay we just won't drink on the road anymore and to make that sacrifice for me you know meant so much that I knew that I wasn't going to have to be faced with every night after the show, everybody else hanging out in the room partying and me just being by myself because I, I quit drinking. Mm. And so that, that is, 
amazing right there. And I mm-hmm. feel so lucky to have guys in my band who thought enough of me and, and the situation to, to do that. And, and it's still that way. You know, we don't drink on the road. Now, if the guys want to, if we're off or whatever, if they, you know, want to have a beer in front of me or whatever, it doesn't bother me. But we don't, we don't drink and party, you know, like, like we used to. And, and, uh, you know, whatever they do on their off time, it's their business. So, uh, but to have that kind of support, you know, and, uh, you know, the people that I, uh, the two friends that I lost, uh, this past year, you know, all the guys in the band were familiar with, you know, knew the, knew those two guys and, and, uh, yeah, they were, they were very patient during all that, you know. Well, my condolences, Michael, about, about your friends and man, what a, what an incredible band. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great band. I mean, we, uh, you know, two of the guys I've known for years, even before, well, three of them, uh, the bass player, Chris Douglas, and the guitar player and mandolin player, especially Josh Richards and Nathan Livers. We grew up together, the three of us did, and uh, never really dreamed it would work out for them to be in the band. Uh, they were just people who played and went to the local bluegrass shows that my grandparents put on in Henryville, Indiana, and you know, all the other local shows and we would we would hang out and play there. And uh and Chris Douglas, the bass player, you know, I met him twenty years ago when I was playing with Rhonda Vincent. He played with her for a short time. And uh that's another one, you know, we just kinda hit it off and I knew immediately, you know, I wanna I wanna play some more music with this guy if I can. So mm-hmm. And then the the banjo player Josiah Schrode, he's been in the band for for about five years now, and uh, and then our sound guy Elliot Beckley travels with us wherever we go, and definitely couldn't do it without him. Hi, I'm Katie, producer of Weird Music Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to Voodoo Ranger. <laughs> Live rangerously. Well, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. Just want to let y'all know we've got these hand-dyed, ice-dyed Weird Music Podcast hoodies and also tees. If you'd like one, let us know. We'd love to get you one. And a big thank you to the geniuses over at Thrax CBD for sponsoring us with their amazing products. Also want to give a big thank you to J&J Distribution, Ohio's premier Delta 8 and CBD wholesale supplier. Retailers, check out their brands Cloud 8, Compassionate Buds, and Zaza. Got links in the description. And yeah, much love, y'all. Now back to the episode. Jump into the side just a little bit. I'd love, I'd love to hear you talk to me about something that you avoid doing that you don't do that, that you think allows you, you know, to, to be your best, whether that's musically or just as a person, you know, other than drinking. Oh, boy, that's a good question. Um, something that I avoid doing. I don't know. You know, I, I, uh, one of the big things I, I think here lately and, you know, in the last few years is, 
you know, I, I used to, I guess, avoid saying no to certain things, you know, like I would, I would commit to doing this thing or that thing, or, you know, something, you know, that, that I knew deep down that I wasn't really into doing, but I felt like maybe I should do it or, you know, like, man, my, my friend's asking me to do this. And, you know, I asking me to write, you know, six pages about this or, you know, whatever, which, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, to put my finger on a certain situation, but I think, I think I used to avoid saying no at certain times, uh, where I, I tried uh, where I don't anymore, you know, if it's something that, that I know that I'm not, uh, gonna be excited about doing, which, you know, you, you have to do enough of that and, in, in, in life, you know, it's not saying that I, I try to avoid everything that I think I'm not going to be good at or, or that I'm afraid of, but at the same time, you know, there's certain, things that come up that I I would say no to now where I used to would would have committed to do it and hate it the whole time you know and just complain about having to do it or or stress out about having to do this thing I've and, been there <laughs> you know it's it's hard to say no sometimes it really is but you know, once you get to that place where, where you really can, when you need to every once in a while, I mean, it, it, it definitely frees you up from not only, you know, frees you up to be able to do what you want to do, but, uh, you know, all that extra stress, you know, of, of trying to, you know, make, make whatever it is happen, you know, or leading up to it, like, a lot of the times, you know, if it's something that I dread, you know, whether it's something that I'm obligated to do or not, you know, the the leading up to whatever it is is way worse than than doing the actual thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> for yeah, sure, so I don't know. I don't know if that was an answer to your question or not. But definitely, no, I I dig it. What would you say has been the thing that's that's taught you the most and has been the greatest teacher for you in your life in my life oh man i mean the one thing that everybody says you know and and that i i firmly believe that if you're if you're gonna do something whatever it is you should be uh for better or worse all in you know, and like, that's how I was with music and, you know, something that you're passionate about and that you get into, you know, you, you, uh, or anything that you want to really be good at is something that you have to just eat, breathe, sleep, you know, everything, you know, like, uh, even when I'm not playing music, I'm thinking about music most of the time, 
And, you know, it was that way when I was a little kid, you know, I, I go to bed listening to music, you know, before or after school, I'd be either playing or listening to music or thinking about, man, I can't wait till the weekend and school's over and I get to go play music, you know, and, um, I think whatever you do, you know, if you get to that level, if you get to uh, a level, you have to be all in on whatever it is you're doing. And sometimes that's a bad thing. You know, that was that was the deal with my you know, drinking and, and every, you know, everything else. It's like I, I but uh, I'm, I'm that kind of person. You know, if I do something, I. And if I'm if I'm in it, I'm in it all the way. Hmm. And I I don't think that's a bad thing for the most part. For the most part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would you say is the personality trait that you most admire in other people? Oh man. Uh, I think just, you know anybody who's who's got a great sense of humor you know who can who can laugh and uh you know laugh at themselves you know and and but at the same time you know i'd say that and you know intensity you know like as musicians that have uh this intensity and energy about their playing, you know, whether it's bluegrass music or any kind of music, that's always, you know, what I've responded to much more than uh, what they could play or, you know, how clean they can play or how fast they can play. You know, my favorite musicians are the ones that you can hear their personality come out in what they do. You know, Doc Watson, Jerry Reed, uh, people like that, that you can, you know, you can hear the person in there. And it's not just a bunch of notes. And so I'd say, you know, uh, you know, having a great sense of humor and then, you know, personality as far as, you know, and and energy about whatever it is that you do. I, I think those those two things would be at the top of my list mine too mine too well michael man this this has been awesome thank you so much for taking the time and joining me here yeah thanks for having me of course of course anytime and if you've listened this far you've got links in the description to listen to michael's new music keep your eye out for for the upcoming album march 3rd yeah march 3rd so, Michael, what do you think young you would say to you now? That's a very good question. That's interesting. Uh, I don't know. I probably, I figured you'd be a little bit smarter than what you are now. <laughs> <laughs> I figured, I figured by the time I got to be 42, 43 years old, I know everything, you know? but uh i don't know uh, when i was young me i thought i already did know everything oh yeah so did i <laughs> you know, once i you know was teenager and in my 20s you know I, I really thought i knew everything and then you know it's not till after that you figure out 
how much you really don't. And I'm still figuring that out. Mm. If there's there's one takeaway or or lesson or or mantra to to be learned from your story from from your life, everything you've been through, everything you're all about, what what would you say that would be? I guess perseverance, you know, everything that I've ever done in my life has just come from me staying after it and not giving up. And, you know, like, uh, and that comes back, I guess, to what I was saying earlier about, you know, being obsessed with whatever you're doing, you know, but, uh, you know, I just, even, even today, you know, if I'm working on something at home, if somebody sends me something to play on, I'll sit and play on it over and over and over, you know, for hours and just drive myself nuts with it. You know, just trying to get every little detail as, as good as I can possibly get it. And I think, uh, I think that's the common theme in my life is just not necessarily that I was naturally gifted or, you know, but just the best at anything. And, you know, it, it was the fact that I was willing to, to do whatever it took to get there. You know, I was, I was willing to learn the material, uh, when, when somebody called me for a gig rather than just showing up and flying by the seat of my pants, you know, I was willing to do the homework that it took to, to actually listen to the albums and not only that, but play note for note, whatever somebody played on there, you know, and, uh, you know, like being, learning how to play, you know, learning you know, learning to be, you know, take better care of myself and, and be in better shape physically. Uh, just all kinds of things, you know, you just, it's, it's not like you figure it out all at once. And, you know, no matter how gifted you are or how, how talented, you know, it's, it's always just, it's keeping after it every day you know, and just spending that much, you know, just a little time on it, just chipping away at it. So, Mike, I know you're coming out with an album here in the near future, and I love talking about writing songs. What would you say, what would you say is the most challenging aspect of songwriting for you? Naming a song. (laughs) Because most of the stuff I write, uh, I don't write a lot of songs with lyrics a lot of what i write is instrumental music so uh and it's just kind of always been that way you know I, I i do sing a little bit but i've never really considered myself a lead singer or a lead vocalist so uh usually the the stuff that i end up writing is a result of me messing around on whatever instrument I'm playing at the time, you know, so fiddle, mandolin or guitar, banjo, something like that. And, uh, you know, if I get into that mode, it's pretty easy for me to come up with something and, you know, songs or or tunes that I'm happy with. But the hardest thing for me is, is to, after 
I come up with something like that is to come up with a, a name that actually fits the song. And uh, I think at that point, I put so much attachment to, yeah, I got this great song. I got to come up with an equally great name for it that, that fits fits the instrumental in, in every sense. And, um, and most of the time, I just, it comes down to like, I think the last album I did, it came down to, okay, we're getting ready to send this album to mastering. We got to have a name for this song. And, um, and then I end up just picking a name. And yeah, tell me, how do you name a song? <laughs> I usually ask other people, what do you think? What do you, uh, what, what do you, uh, what does this song remind you of? And, uh, I mean, I named, I named the song, uh, five points on this last album that, that it's a tune that I've had written for a couple of years and finally recorded. Uh, it's on this new album, love another game. And, uh, I named it five points just because five points is an area in East Nashville. And, uh, there's a great pizza place called Five Points Pizza that that's really good. So I figured that'd be as good a name as any for a song. <laughs> so zooming out here, Michael, you know, talking about songwriting, what do you think are some of the most important qualities and, and like personal attributes for a successful songwriter to have? I think, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to approach it. And, you know, but I think at the end of the day, whatever you do, whether it's songwriting or playing music or, or whatever, it can't be, it can't be what you think people want to hear. It can't be the, the, the whole, you know, I'm going to write to fit this mold kind of thing. I mean, you can do that. You You can absolutely do it. But I think the best songs and best music come from, you know, what you feel personally and what you personally respond to, you know, like if you are excited about it, then, and, you know, that's going to come across in, in whatever you're doing. And that that's going to translate to everyone else much more than, okay, I'm going to write this song to fit the mold of, today's new country or today's pop you know songs and and try to make millions of dollars and you know sometimes it works out and you can do that but but most of the time you know you gotta you gotta write and and play and do what you emotionally respond to and and what makes you excited about playing music or that's that's what it's always been for me. So branching off of that, what what other advice can you share for anyone who might be like just starting out in songwriting? Um, you know, I I think the big thing and and the, the thing that I have trouble with doing is uh, a lot of my favorite songwriters they compose every day. They they may just come up with a 
a little piece of something, you know, um, like I've, I've got it. I've got a ton of ideas. I guess this could be another piece of advice, you know, but the iPhone is the greatest tool because it has this voice memo feature that you can record. Uh, you know, anytime you get a little idea, you know, a snippet of something that, that you want to lay down, I mean, you can just hit record on your iPhone. It's never been easier to, to do that. And I've learned uh, the hard way to be sure to do that every time, because if you don't, it's going to probably get lost. Like, I've literally woke up in the middle of the night and dreamed like a, a song, a uh, melody idea, and recorded it just because I've had other instances where I've, I've done that same thing, you know, I'll... I'll have a dream and it'll have this melody in it or whatever. And I'll think, man, I've got to record this tomorrow, you know, and uh, tomorrow always comes and, and I don't remember what it was. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's one thing, you know, and then the other is just to, you know, like I say, it, it's not something that, that I do as much as I should, but you know, to, to make yourself try to, to come up with, with things every day, even if they sound, even if they sound stupid, you know, or corny to you. Like I've, I've had things before where, where I think this has got to be something, this has got to be something that I've heard. And, and sometimes it is, you know, it's good to do your research and make sure that you're not ripping off somebody, but you know, I've I've had things like that where where it's just a very catchy, familiar sounding thing, you know, but it, it's not it wasn't that originally. Uh, like it wasn't something that I took from something else or somebody else, but uh it's just that catchy of a tune. So sometimes it does work out that way. Hmm. And I'm curious what advice you can share about co-writing with with others, especially like, you know, going back and forth between situations where where you're the lead man, um, but then you might, you know, be just kind of like a side player on someone else's project. And, you know, what's what's important in those different kinds of dynamics? I haven't done a ton of, of co-writing, but uh, I have done some and it's just it's usually for me, uh, in instrumental writing, it's just playing, playing ideas, bouncing ideas back and forth and, and playing off. It's almost like improvising. It's almost just like if you're, if you're playing with somebody and you're, you're swapping licks back and forth over a, over a common riff or song, you know, it's the same kind of thing when you're, sit down trying to write something now uh and i haven't written a lot with somebody you know trying to write lyrics uh matter of fact i tried that one time and i about went nuts you know <laughs> they got they got out the rhyming dictionary and about three hours later i was like oh my god i gotta get out of here <laughs> but but that's how they do it you know i mean it, it really is so um uh, 
but yeah, just the, the limited experience I've had with co-writing, you know, it's just uh, bouncing ideas back and forth and um, especially, you know, writing with somebody like Bela Fleck who has all these chops, you know, not only bluegrass, but, you know, jazz and classical and and all these different things that he can pull from that you know if you if he plays something and, and you you mess with it you're ah, I'm not crazy about that oh yeah how about this you know and here's this totally different thing that that you would have never thought of you know and it just seems like it's endless with him Michael, incredible, incredible interview with you here. Michael Cleveland, truly one of a kind, one of the greatest bluegrass players in the world, an inspiration. Michael, man, so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me on again.